All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen selling? With regard to Chen's uh, newsletter, he is not taking any new subscribers at the moment. Uh, however, if you think you might want to subscribe to Chen's letter, you do need to sign up and put your name on the waiting list. Uh, Chen uh, expects to be taking some new subscribers at the beginning of 2013. Go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com uh, to sign up for uh, to, or to put your name on Chen's uh uh, waiting list. Um, you can, however, sign up to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, and uh, that newsletter can also be signed up for at miningstocks.com. I try to find some good mining situations, good good companies uh, in the gold space primarily, and we are having a very difficult time now. There's no getting around that. I think we're looking at uh, the junior uh, sector, the junior gold stocks, uh, having one of the toughest years that I can remember in quite a while. Uh, a lot of this, I think, has to do with tax loss selling that's going on this year, and perhaps a, especially aggressive tax loss selling this year, given prospects for higher uh, for uh, higher uh, profits, uh, higher taxes next year. And, and so I think that may be hurting the junior sector very much. Uh, indeed, uh, some of the companies that I see, uh, that I cover in my newsletter, I believe are unbelievably good bargains. Uh, for example, let me just mention uh, one of our sponsors is Bravada Gold. I saw today that that is a stock that's down to 4.7 cents a share. Uh, it had a uh, present value in a PEA at current gold and silver prices of $1.29 per share, something like that. Uh, I think that the junior sector, the junior shares, are likely to bounce back at the beginning of next year, uh, as they so often do. And this is nothing new this year. Uh, we're seeing selling at the end of the year that makes a lot of these shares uh, vulnerable and um uh, that also then provides an opportunity to make some money early in the year next year. Of course, we do have this fiscal cliff hanging over us, and we do have so many uncertainties that are evolving. Uh, I, I do sort of believe that we are uh, in a very uneasy time, that there's a sort of a feeling of unease in the markets that's causing a, a lot of anxiety. Nobody really knows what's going to happen uh, with all that is to, uh, that is on the horizon. Well, I do want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. As I mentioned, I think the uh, the markets are uh, in uh, a lot of turmoil. I think there's a lot of difficulty out there. Today, the equity markets are more or less break-even. They're up a little, down a little, sort of unchanged for the day. We have seen a big decline in uh, gold and silver. Uh, gold is at 1696 right now and silver at 3289 So uh, I think that uh, we do have a lot to be concerned about right now, no doubt about that. Um, there, as I say, there's a sense of apprehension hanging over the air, and the markets are not only, I think, not only because of the massive uncertainty, uh, but also because of the idea that our government is becoming an enemy of the people. It is stealing more wealth from those of us who earn it and giving it to those who do not contribute to society. It is uh, watching and spying on us like never before. It is taking away our liberty, I believe, either directly or through regulation um, 
directly through regulation or indirectly by robbing us of our property. So for Americans who have enjoyed freedom over many decades, the Obama administration is a direct threat or is at least perceived to be a direct threat, but I believe that would have also been true of Romney as well. In fact, you can make the case for the, why those of us who desire limited government and a return to the fundamentals that made our country great are fortunate, in a way, that Obama won the election. And I want to read a portion of Richard Mayberry's newsletter uh, from page two uh, of this last month's letter, which I just received in the mail yesterday, because I think Richard makes a very good case uh, for that line of thinking. Um, and this is from Richard Mayberry's letter yesterday. He says, Greece, Spain, Italy, the former Soviet Union, what do these beleaguered places have in common? Socialism, meaning the promise that there is such a thing as a free lunch, robbing Peter to subsidize Paul, taxing away the savings that create jobs, using political regulations instead of the forces of competition and the fundamental laws of civilization to regulate business. When I was young, the intellectual elite taught that America had to go socialist because this was the wave of the future. They said, look at how well it works in the Union of Socialist Republics and Western Europe, which was and is heavily socialist. The few of us who steadfastly believed in liberty and capitalism replied that in the long run, socialism would wreck those countries. A half a century later, the results are in. The USSR produced poverty, runaway inflation, and gangsterism, and Western Europe is becoming a land of poverty, riots, and burning buildings. You'd think Americans would say, maybe going more deeply into socialism isn't such a good idea. Yet in November, millions peered into the smoke, despair, and hate that is now Europe and voted for more socialism in the United States. All I can say to them is, be patient, you will surely get what you ask for. However, and Richard uh, highlights this, he says, however, I'm thrilled about the outcome of the presidential election. It greatly increases my optimism. Here's why. The coming economic trouble goes far beyond the fiscal cliff. For reasons explained in numerous letters during the past two years, I believe the world is in the early stages of an economic catastrophe that will last years and will be more serious than the Great Depression of the 1930s, although hopefully shorter. The question of the age is, which economic paradigm will be blamed, capitalism or socialism? Bear in mind that in politics, mirages are the only reality. This is due in no small part to the fact that the typical voter and his teachers were raised in government-controlled schools, and they know next to nothing about economics. Whenever something goes wrong, the philosophy of the man in the White House at the time gets the blame, even if the seeds of that particular crisis were sown a hundred years earlier. In the minds of the mainstream press, and therefore in the minds of the voters, the 2012 election was a straightforward contest between Romney, representing capitalism, and Obama, representing socialism. In the 1930s, capitalism was blamed for the Great Depression, and the country made a sharp turn, plunging into socialism. Obama's re-election greatly increases the chances the coming catastrophe will be blamed on socialism, and during the crisis, the country will swerve back towards capitalism, meaning towards a much smaller, cheaper, and wiser government that won't yield so much poverty, riots, and inflation. In other words, in the short run, Obama's re-election is almost certainly another socialist disaster. But in the long run, it's a wonderful gift. With almost no understanding of, the real, of real economics, few Americans know that the federal government has been creating America's problem for more than a century. The coming economic disaster is baked in the cake. The President and Congress can continue kicking the can down the road for a while, perhaps, but they can't undo what's been done. My friends would tell you that I was very afraid that Romney would win the, win the election uh, and the upcoming disaster would be blamed on capitalism. The country would react as it did in the Great Depression, taking a hard left turn. There would be no reversing the decline into deeper socialism, and then we'd, be, then we'd plunge into a dark age uh, the, like the one that destroyed the socialist Roman Empire. A dark age? Yes. Try to imagine a depression four centuries long. But Obama's win greatly increases our chances of pinning the blame where it belongs, on socialism and on providing a dark age. I, would not, I could not be happier, Richard says. 
we didn't dodge a bullet. It's still coming, but odds are much better that we did dodge an artillery shell. End of quote. Well, this in a way is sort of reflects uh, and also talks a little bit about uh, or sort of reflects Bob Hoy's view that he says he believes we are about to embark in a bull market in common sense. And Bob also believes that the seeds of destruction is sown into the socialist policies that have that are really bankrupting uh, the United States. Today, we have two main guests at about 3.30, James Cook whose investment rarities uh, coin dealership has been one of the longest-standing hard money stores in North America. And James has written an excellent book outlining why we are in such big trouble. The title of the book is Na- uh, National Bankruptcy, Why the Middle Class is Doomed. And we'll ask James if uh, anything we folks in the middle class can do to protect ourselves and survive the impending problems that he foresees uh, that government seems to be heaping on us. At 4 o'clock, Rick Durfee, who along with his colleague uh, Richard Bloomfield hosts another Voice America show titled What About Wealth? Uh, He will join me to provide some ideas about what you should do given higher taxes that are heading our way most certainly at the start of 2013. Rick and Rich are lawyers and estate planners, and their show is well worth listening to. I did take a listen to it this morning, earlier today. You will get a bit of a sense of their value, I think, when Rick Durfee joins me at 4 o'clock uh, to about 4.30. At 4.30, the CEO of one of my favorite gold mining exploration companies, namely Eurasian Minerals, will be here to give us an update on that fine company's progress. I'm talking about David Cole, um, who, who heads up the most interesting and, I think, promising uh, project generator companies uh, there is. We will uh, be going on to a break in just a few minutes, and uh, when we come back, I expect to have Gene Epstein with me as well. Uh, Gene writes for Barron's uh, Weekly Magazine. Gene expects, uh, uh, I th- think, to have more to say about the fiscal cliff and um, other economic topics, and he will certainly be telling us about uh, the upcoming New York City Junto meeting, which me- meets in Midtown uh, Manhattan every Thursday. Uh, so that's uh, basically what we have coming today. Uh, I think um, we uh, don't know if we have Gene. Uh, yeah, we do have Gene with us already. So I think we're going to go to break right now, and when we come back, uh, we'll be with uh, Gene Epstein. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated, trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV, is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest multinational nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. 
Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again Gene Epstein, uh, who writes for uh, he writes the Economic Beat every, uh, column every week in Barron's Magazine, and he also reviews books from time to time uh, for that publication as well. I'm you know, really hap- happy to have Gene. He's an economist, and uh, the biggest question I have, of course, I know the answer to this because I've met Gene personally, but is mm-hmm. Gene a two-armed or a one-armed economist? You know, the joke is that... Uh, Give me an economist who has only one arm, because then he can't say, on the other hand. So, uh, Yeah, hi. And, uh, of course, that was attributed uh, to President Harry Truman. Oh, was that uh, Truman? I wasn't sure yeah. where that came from, but it, but it is a... Of, of course, you never know, because uh, so many things attributed to so many people that uh, they never quite said. But uh, at least uh, that's the claim. And I guess, of course, Truman uh, had uh, pretty left-wing economists working for him, and I guess Truman wanted to believe that uh, a larger government would definitely bring uh, good results. Actually, had Leon Kieserling, who was a real left-wing preacher, as his chairman of economic advisors. So so there there you go. I've countered your point and said that uh, sometimes you want a a, a two-handed economist because if a one-handed economist is going to say, as Obama's people, are going to say that uh, Obamanomics is going to bring great stuff. There's no two yeah. ways about it. That yeah. you want to maybe, on the other hand, kind of argument. Right, but, exactly. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you because it seems to me this whole notion of uh, uh, two-armed economists, we're not hearing so much anymore. What we're hearing is either one, one direction or the other. So take mm-hmm. a Paul Krugman, Krugman for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not saying too much about, on the other hand, is he? I mean, it's all about to the left, to the left. Well, you know, that's true, although uh, amazingly, really, uh, if you, uh, you know, Krugman sometimes, he seems to live each day as though it were his first. You know, he uh-huh. wrote, he, he, he contradicts himself all the time. He, uh, he wrote, uh, for example, that it was ridiculous to imagine that the Federal Reserve had anything to do with the housing bubble. <laughs> but in fact, he'd been saying exactly the contrary a, a number of years before when he specifically uh, said that it might be a good idea for the housing for the Federal Reserve to start a housing bubble. And when the bubble did start, he even understood that uh, it posed risks, but then he did a complete about-face a few years later and forgot, put that down the memory hole and forgot all about it. So uh, he, he's a two-handed economist in the sense that he contradicts himself all the time. Right. He, but, but he uh, contradicts otherwise, himself uh, he's in a way that would ensure uh, leftist politi- policies that is more and more government, less, less freedom, less free enterprise, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, for the most part, yes. Uh, you know, he has. Uh, you know, he 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 has moments. Uh, but uh, truthfully, it, it's not so much that Truman la- uh, that Truman that Krugman lacks uh, smarts. He just lacks integrity, in my yeah. view. I've met him. Uh, I've seen his career over over time. Before he joined the New York Times, as a matter of fact, he joined the Times in uh, 1999. He wrote a monthly column for Slate, and about half the pieces in that. Um, 
uh, that did write for Slate weren't bad at all. Mm. Wrote two pieces I'd recommend. One of them was called uh, Egalite, Inanite, Fraternite. It was a great satire on the lunatic French economy, and uh, you'd imagine it was written by a free market economist. It was mm. pretty witty and very incisive mm. about how lunatic the French socialists were. He wrote another one called uh, uh, Sweatshop Jobs at Sweatshop Wages Are Better Than No Jobs at All, a rather uh, forthright uh, defense of multinationals employing people abroad, pointing out that they were uh, lifting people out of poverty. Then he joined the New York Times, and that was his great unraveling. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, what what drives him. Is it just that he senses an opportunity, like a shark smells some blood in the water, and this is where he can go to feed on it and and make a name for himself? I mean, I guess we can't get inside his head, but... Pretty much. uh, It's difficult to get inside his head, but but I I would say that I once spent uh, like half a day with him, and uh, it was, uh, you know, he, he confessed that his great ambition was to make, uh, was to write a textbook that would make millions of dollars. And uh, I blinked a couple of times because he and his wife, uh, his wife had a job and he wasn't planning to have any children. So uh, what's the big deal about making millions of dollars? I mean, you know, for what purpose? Uh, he just seemed like a pure opportunist. Uh, and... Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, you know, what it, it is difficult to be. Why don't we just see the results and, uh, you know, it's pure Krugmania. You know, it's not, it doesn't make any sense um, much of the time uh, what he writes. Yeah, uh, well, morality and a sense of integrity is something that seems to be missing. And I think probably as one who heads up the, the New York City Junto, you mm-hmm. are very much a gene and a believer in free markets and how that forces integrity on people. Well, absolutely, and and thanks for mentioning that. I I, I think I, Junto uh, is uh, something that I've been able to take over. It's 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 sponsored and paid for by the philanthropist, the great philanthropist Vic Niederhofer. It meets. Uh, it's easy to remember the first Thursday of each month. Uh, always on the first Thursday evening of each month at 7.30 in the evening uh, in Midtown, 20 West 44th Street, in a big hall. Uh, it seats uh, 200 people. It's open to everyone. So I'm proud to be associated with really the, the, the largest, greatest sort of outreach uh, libertarian uh, meeting on a monthly basis in the heart of New York City. And also uh, I can arrange the speakers. The speaker mm-hmm. for uh, this Thursday evening is uh, Professor Wayne. Wayne Layton, who's the economics professor at Universidad Francisco Americana, a great free market university in Guatemala. Wayne is actually lives in D.C. He commutes to Guatemala. He's an American. He's written a book, co-written a book called Mad Men, Intellectuals, and Academic Scribblers, The Economic Engine of Political Change. Those of us who are familiar with famous quotes know that Mad Men and ad- Academic Scribblers is a quote from the infamous John Maynard Keynes, who said that that madmen in authority are usually the slave of some academic scribbler. And then the intellectuals are, of course, uh, other people who play an important role in economic change. So that's what he's going to be talking about. How does political and economic change happen? Uh, does it require a crisis? What role do ideas play? Uh, an upbeat, hopefully an upbeat talk, because I know that his book talks about three changes for the good, uh, one change for the bad, uh, but often there are changes for the good. There mm-hmm. is progress in the direction of free markets. Yeah. And, uh, so I think it'll be an exciting talk, and I uh, hope all your viewers show up. Yeah, I hope our, I hope our listeners, uh, those at least in the metropolitan area here, can show up, and I'm certainly looking forward to going, Gene. I, mm-hmm. I know it starts, uh, people can sort of start congregating there at 7 o'clock, and then by mm-hmm. 7.30 I think the show begins, but show begins. you give people an opportunity to speak their minds as well. Yeah, uh, those people that get there early and put their name on a list can talk. Uh, what are the restrictions, and I mean, what you don't want people just talking about the weather when they come in there. What What are you looking for for people that from people that well, come in? Well, yeah, no. The, if, actually, for the first half hour, if you want to make an announcement of some activity, something that's going on that you want other people to know about, it's fairly just you know twenty five minutes or so of free willing announcement. The speaker goes on at eight. Uh, speaks till about eight forty five, and then. Uh, we have an active Q&A and discussion that goes on for about an hour between anyone in the audience and the speaker. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, the, the moderating is an art, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, if someone speaks out of turn and 
hogs the mic or whatever, then the moderator's got to step in. Yeah. And uh, that's what I do. Yeah. But uh, I think it's important uh, for people to get a chance uh, to, uh, to, to converse with the speaker, to have a dialogue. And uh, oftentimes the hour that follows this, the, the talk, which of course is, is unconventional, usually there's only about 15 minutes for Q&A after a 45-minute talk, but it's for an hour. And um, I think it often goes well and is very lively. Yeah, and I think you do. I, I think you do a great job, Gene. I attended Thanks. a few meetings before yes. you were there. I think you do a great job at moderating and keeping mm-hmm. the show on the move. And I, I would also mention to our listeners that the people that attend this are, are generally very well educated, generally uh, have given a lot of thought and have a lot mm-hmm. of conviction in many cases as to what they believe. And mm-hmm. it is a very spirited discussion, uh, but it's also a very civil discussion. And you keep it, make sure to keep it that way. I know you do, Gene. So it is, Thank I'm you. just spending more time than normal to talk about New York City Junto because mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. And I think it's very much worth the time for people that are in the metropolitan area to, to go to see it, uh, to uh, be a part of it at 20 West 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenues uh, in Manhattan. This coming that. Thursday. All right. Well, we have a few minutes left. I want to ask you. Uh, the, you know, we're hearing. I, I, I guess we're getting tired of hearing about the fiscal cliff. But do you see anything happening there so far? It looks like a logjam to me. What What are you thinking? Yeah, well, uh, you know, in terms of the political uh, winds of change and what's really happening, I, so to speak, I only know what I read in the papers, uh, but uh, my own view, uh, as I've argued in Barron's, is that, uh, you know, the, 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 the fiscal cliff notes on the fiscal cliff are really that it boils down to a tax shock. Uh, it's not so much uh, this idea of a space. It's supposed to be conventionally an increase in taxes that's going to happen suddenly starting in January and a cut in spending. But the cut in spending is bogus. Uh, the fact is that federal spending is going to increase. Or to put it another way, the, the, the entitlements part of the, of the federal budget is going to run a huge deficit starting in January. Then there will be some cutbacks in the non-entitlements part. But what that nets out to in the spending side is some extra spending. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, on the tax side, there's going to be, uh, for, for, for different reasons, a half a trillion dollar jump in taxes. The, the biggest piece of it is the rollback of the Bush era tax cuts for all uh, brackets. There's also the uh, the rescission of the payroll tax holiday, uh, the two percentage point. That's worth a two percentage point deduction on payroll taxes. I think the average wage earner is not going to anticipate that's going to be worth over a hundred billion in itself. Mm-hmm. And then the 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 alternative minimum tax, that complicated uh, bit whereby you end up being hit with a higher tax uh, than you anticipated. That uh, that they had patched that in to pre- to prevent it from happening, but that patch came off and that's going to hit. So the combined uh, effect of that is a half a trillion jump in taxes. The last time something like that had happened in proportionate terms was in 1969, and in 1969 there was a recession. And so I think that kind of tax shock could cause an economic slowdown, uh, and uh, that while it's not likely to be anything as uh, nearly so severe as the kind of bubble that's caused by the Federal Reserve, uh, the, the shock uh, could mean something. It might, I'll, I'll use, an, I'll, I'll, I'm going to play the part of the, on the one hand, on the other hand, I would say it's kind of a 50-50 chance of, of a mild recession, but a pretty good chance uh, that economic growth is going to slow from its already sluggish rate from, let's say, about 2.5% to about 1.5%, and uh, probably unemployment will rise. So I, uh, I'm concerned because uh, there's so much talk in Washington about so much else, but nothing to address uh, the tax shock. Uh, now, with that said, it's not like Y2K. The computers aren't going to suddenly uh, turn around. Um, the, 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 the so-called shock is going to happen uh, January, February, March. It's not going to hit. You know, we're not going to fall off a cliff on January 2nd. Um, but, uh, but the higher taxes that are going to hit everyone uh, could cause an economic slowdown the first half of the year. And uh, so that's not good news. So, Gene, if there's a $500 trillion tax hike... $500 billion, half a trillion. Uh, uh, half a trillion. Uh, half a, yeah, I'm sorry, $500 yeah. billion, half a trillion. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, how much spending increase, then, do you see from the government 
you know, in other words, you're you're taking away from the private sector, but you're letting the government grow. How much? Well, the the government the government's going to grow by less. The government's going to grow uh, by uh, by a few billion. Yeah. I I personally believe that uh, that 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 fiscal issues are, uh, are are really are not a matter of the formula they for, they put in textbooks. It's very much a matter of how of of behavior and how it affects particular uh, people, how they're anticipated. It's kind of complicated. And I, so I personally believe that, that one should separate the tax shock and indeed uh, separate the tax shock on different levels. Uh, the, uh, the payroll tax shock, for example, uh, the, uh, that's going to hit a lot of people in lower brackets, a lot of wage earners. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's one piece of it. That could cut. Uh, that, I don't know that. I doubt very much that the average wage earner knows that it's coming. Some of them do. Most of them don't. So it's not going to be anticipated. Um, but in any case, uh, p- perhaps you want to pursue a point. Perhaps I short-circuited your argument. No, no, been, no. I, I, I think that's very good. I think yeah. what we're, uh, there's going to be a lot of people a bit ticked off, I would guess, once they yeah. start to realize what this is going to mean, what yeah. these taxes are going to mean. And a lot of them will probably be people that will have voted for Obama. Perhaps, sure, because the alternative minimum tax is that basically the surprise news that when your uh, when your accountant does your taxes, uh, then uh, then it looks as though you owe this much, but no, no, it turns out the AMT kicks in. You don't owe enough, so you have to start paying, a, you have to write a check. That's worth over $100 billion. That, too, is going to be come to come as a surprise uh, to middle-income people. Right. Uh, Tell me about it, Gene. Uh, You know, living in New York City, where we have a lot of state taxes, a lot Mm -hmm. of local taxes, those taxes are not allowed. Uh, You know, they're not deductible, uh, Mm -hmm. I found out, we found out, Mrs. Taylor and I did and have Mm -hmm. over the last few years. Uh, You know, we're fortunate enough to be in an income bracket where we are AMT, except that Good Lord, I mean, how much do we have to give away now? How much do we have, how much of our property do we have to give mm-hmm. uh, for the cause of socialism, you know? And it's, it's, yes. it just seems yeah. to me that uh, AMT is, is a boogeyman that's going to really surprise a lot of people, if indeed it is rolled back. But perhaps uh, at the end, you know, uh, all these politicians who really don't have any moral uh, morality, I would argue, are basically just thinking about themselves and can they get reelected. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps they, they do another one of these patches for the AMT. What do you think? Yeah, sure, and and uh, so th- you're absolutely right, and uh, because it it doesn't necessarily happen, have to happen uh, before Congress adjourns. Uh, they can always do whatever they want. They can just start. Th- they can declare the patch in mid-January if they want to. Uh, there's lots of ways uh, for them to do damage control and pretty much uh, roll it back even in mid-January. Yeah. So well, we can, one uh, thing, I think, I think sooner or later count. it will occur to them. Uh, one of the things right. we can uh, we can count on is they are likely to kick the can down the road, as yeah, you said the yeah. last time you were on our show. Yeah. Gene, we are out of time. Um, thank you very much for coming sure. on. We'll have you on Pleasure. again, of course, sometime soon. I hope uh, before, even before the next June till. Great, thanks thank, again. Thank you very much for being Bye-bye. with us, uh, Gene Epstein of Barrons. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to come right back with James Cook, uh, James Cook of Investment Rarities, and he's been around investing in gold and silver for many, many years. And he's just written an excellent book we're going to talk to him about. The name of the book is National Bankruptcy, Why the Middle Class is Doomed. Don't go away. We'll be right back with James Cook. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. 
recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have me with me for the first time, James R. Cook. And uh, James Cook, well, he's the president of Investment Rarities Incorporated. That's a precious metals company that he founded 40 years ago. I've known James for almost that long. No, not quite, but 30 years probably, 25 or so. Investment Rarities has sold and delivered $3 billion in silver and gold, and you can contact uh, the company uh, by calling the toll-free number 800-328-1860, 800-328-1860, or you can go to their website at investmentrarities.com. Uh, James is the author of the best-selling book, The Startup Entrepreneur. He also is the author of Full Faith and Credit. That's a novel. And his current publication, National Bankruptcy, Why the Middle Class is Doomed, is what I want to sort of focus on today. He has appeared on NBC's Today Show, Regis Philbin and Larry King. Uh, and James is also the president of Cook Waterfowl Foundation. That's an organization that has restored over 1,500 wetlands in North Dakota and Minnesota. Welcome, James, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. It's been a long time since we chatted. Yeah, we haven't spoken in a number of years. I'm not sure why, but I do want to talk to you about uh, your, your book, the one we just mentioned, The National Bankruptcy, Why the Middle Class is Doomed. Uh, and uh, before I go any further, um, I want to ask you, though, people can, you were telling me uh, that people can actually call and get a free copy of National Bankruptcy? Yeah, they sure can. And uh, That number that I just mentioned? Yeah, that number, the, the 800 number, 328-1860. Uh-huh. We'll mention it after we talk about it for a while, because I think if we uh, focus on some of the things, it's going to interest people. Oh, absolutely. It, it definitely should interest people. It is, um, I must say, I, I had a call while I was going through this and preparing for today's talk. I had a call from a fund manager in Switzerland. He said, uh, how are you doing, Jay? And I said, horrible. I said, and that's the way I answered. You know, usually you say, even if you're not feeling good, you say, I'm great, I'm good, everything's fine. No, I'm just reading through this book, James, and I'm saying, this is getting more and more depressing as I, as I read, because I, I believe it's true. Uh, but, but on a lighter topic, before we get into the national bankruptcy um, book, I didn't know that you were involved, uh, that you are an environmentalist. Yeah, for many years I've been an enthusiast for waterfowl. and. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, years ago I started when I had a little extra money to acquire land and then restore the wetlands, plug the drainage ditches, and and so it's grown into be quite a substantial endeavor. And uh, it's something that uh, you know you don't go, go through life. You got to give some things back, and mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. my goal. Oh, that's terrific. Oh, it's uh, nice to know that uh, gold guys aren't only 
people that are responsible for for polluting the the earth. <laughs> well, actually, I think uh, gold and silver guys are going to be responsible for, for saving a lot of people's fat from the fire in the next few years. Well, I believe that's true, too, uh, and that's what we want to talk to you about. Uh, the title of your book is National Bankruptcy. Uh, in my talks that I give to various groups, I often show a slide that shows the exponential rise in total U.S. dollar debt, and I think the number, the latest slide that I have says something like $57 trillion, and on that slide that I show, that's illustrated by a red line. Then there is a blue line, which represents GDP, and that's the government's own numbers, which I think are suspect. But nonetheless, taking those numbers, you see a, a huge disparity with debt growing exponentially, just straight off the chart. And with Lehman Brothers, we've seen a little bit of a curl over, but still the distance between the income that we have in the United States relative to the debt has never been greater. As a matter of fact, uh, you go back to 1932 or something like that when it got that ratio of debt, total debt to GDP was something like 260 percent. It got up to 360 or 380 recently. It's around 360 now. Do you think the U.S. is bankrupt now? And if so, uh, can the existing system be saved at all? Well, I don't think it can be saved. And the reason for the debt is runaway government spending. And I, I think the problem for us is that we've developed an enormous constituency of people who have now come to rely on the government uh, for their their living expenses and their existence and uh, cutting that is almost really cruel in a way i mean people have come to rely on government and now uh you know we talk about taking it away we should have never started it in the first place right that's the problem it's a slippery slope once you start it it's almost impossible to curtail and as a as a consequence, the costs are just running away. When you're paying for people's Medicare and their health care, you know, for example, just one example, Social Security disability. We've seen an enormous growth in that. And in a lot of cases, people go in and say, I've got a bad headaches, and they start getting $1,200 a month. Well, they also get free health care for the rest of their life. So these things are just uh, totally out of control and you know, there's going to be a huge comeuppance, and I see there's going to be, I think, a runaway inflation and then a big depression or uh, other outcome, which, uh, you know, I really, I really can't imagine. Yeah, well, Chapter 1 in your book is titled One Hellish Predicament. Uh, so the predicament that we're in is that we can't stop spending. I mean, the, the talk here is, you know, the Democrats are saying to the Republicans, you guys... Um, You've got to let us have more tax dollars. And the Republicans are saying, yeah, but you've got to cut some government. And when they talk about government uh, cutting, normally what they're talking about, as uh, Jeff Dice, Ron Paul's chief of staff, tells me, it has only to do with re- uh, cutting the re- uh, uh, reducing the growth in spending. They're never talking about cutting, actually cutting, are they? No. These people on the left, they resist any kind of cuts, and uh, they don't seem to have the the same concerns or the worries about where we're heading. I mean, Paul Ryan is a guy that tried to express uh, what an awful predicament we're in, and, yeah. uh, you know, he's pretty much ignored by the liberals, and it's it's uh, something that they are going to resist, and that's one reason why I have such a gloomy outlook on what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, it isn't very... It, it seems to me that there's two polar views of government philosophies, if you will. And it's not that the Republicans are perfect. In fact, I, I believe the Republicans have just drugged their feet and they've gone along with the Democrats or five or ten years later, but they end up doing the same thing. It's, uh, but there is a, a, a sense in the Republican Party that maybe you know private property is good. I mean, I don't know some private property, how much private property. Uh, it seems to me the Paul, Paul Krugmans of this world would take everything away from private property and put it all in the hands of government, right? I think so. And, you know, I always hear Democrats and liberals say, well, we're not against capitalism, but at, at the same time they are voting for people who want to increase taxes, increase government regulation, increase the size of federal spending and you know that's what does that's what's doing us in that's what's going to terminate free markets and capitalism you know in chapter 2 of your book uh, it's called titled hanging together and you state and i quote we are in the early stages of the disintegration of our society multiculturalism inflation high taxes and a huge growing underclass 
will see to that. So why is our nation becoming so divided now? Isn't socialism supposed to make us all one big happy family? Um, I think quite the contrary. And, you know, you brought up the, this is the other side of this government spending, what it does to the people who receive the money. And I just was talking to some people about the situation on Native American reservations and Pine Ridge, for example, in South Dakota. They have 40,000 uh, people on that reservation, and each year they have 20,000 arrests. That's one for every two people. Wow. But in one year they have 3,000 arrests for child abuse. I mean, the, the situation where people begin to live on the government and they have been subsidized for five or six generations just turns the people into helpless uh, individuals who can no longer fend for themselves and who turn to you know these uh, uh, vices to keep themselves occupied and stimulated and we have the same thing here in minnesota ninety percent rate of alcoholism crime twenty times twenty times the rate off the reservation so this is what happens uh, for, for subsidy, and that is the direction that black, white, Asian, Hispanic are all going to go uh, when they're subsidized by the government. It's just the worst thing you can do to people, give them money they didn't earn. Why is that, James? Do you think it has to do with people's law, law, sort of a loss of sense of purpose in life, or, or what is it? I mean, for example, if you have to go to work every day to put food on the table and to make ends meet, and, and to make sure that your family is secure and so forth. That, that gives you a certain purpose in life, doesn't it? Well, for sure. I mean, is, that what, is that what the issue is here, a lack of purpose in life? Uh, yeah, I think that's part of it, and the lack of struggle. Uh, I mean, you know, life for you and I and for everybody that makes their own way is a struggle, and that improves us. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, the, the deterioration of people who... Uh, live on money they didn't earn is so profound and it's so shocking that the left refuses to see what it does to people. Mm-hmm. In chapter six, you title it the uh, "Past the Point of No Return," and uh, and in chapter uh, oh, that's chapter five. In chapter six, uh, the title is "No Way Out." So you're implying, I guess, that the existing system, as, as I think you've just stated, is really hopeless, and so. Why do you? I mean, why do you say that? Well, I, I think this issue that the people uh, are so dependent on the government, yeah. and the government is creating money and inflating and doing all the wrong things. We're doing the exact opposite of what made us great. Sure. You, know, you go back to 1890, 1900. Taxes were low. Regulation was low. There weren't all these subsidies for all kinds of businesses and all kinds of individuals and organizations. You know, the, the government was small, and now we have this huge BMS. I think it's just like a massive cancer, and uh, it's going to do us in. Yeah. Well, there is some uh, some people out there that are somewhat hopeful. On this show, we've had uh, Bob Hoy. I don't know if you know him or not. He's an analyst out of sure. out of Vancouver, and Bob says he thinks that um, that this is going to bring about a uh, a turnaround and a bull market in common sense is the way he puts it in terms of people starting to realize the realities, the kind of realities you're talking about. And uh, some people like Richard Mayberry rejoice in the re-election of Barack Obama. Uh, and I read uh, sort of what Richard wrote in his latest newsletter in which basically he's saying that, well, Romney was seen as a capitalist and Obama seen as a socialist. So uh, things are going to get worse inevitably, as you're suggesting. There's no way out of this. Things are going to go from bad to worse, so better that they be seen going bad under a socialist than under a capitalist. Do you think there's anything to that argument? Well, I think that probably makes sense, uh, but I also think that before we see any light at the end of the tunnel, we're going to have to endure some awfully painful experiences. I think, uh, you know, if, if this happens fast, if we, had a, if we have a hyperinflation and a depression and clear all this uh, dead wood away, then, uh, you know, I might agree with Mr. Hoy about how we could have a rebirth of our nation and with the old values. Mm-hmm. The problem we have is we have such a large amount of subsidized people and a lot of supporters of uh, programs that subsidize them that they are not going to see the, what, the, the real reason for the predicament or whatever pain we experience. They're going to keep saying we need more government, we need more spending. Yeah. We can't go back to the old ways. So, you know, you have that, that old argument about Rome when everybody's on the dole, uh, you know, your civilization disappears. 
Yeah, and, and that's the problem we have. Are, are the people on the left, are they going to see what the real nature of the problem is and why it happened, or are they going to say, well, it was some Republican error? <laughs> well, I think, you know, what Richard is saying uh, is a little bit what Ron Paul is saying and thinking is that uh, you know, Mayberry makes the point that in many times in the past there have been revolutions and what happens is, you know, many times they're not bloody revolutions. They're people are just scared uh, that the people in power, uh, they get out of Dodge because there's so much fear that the people are going to hang them up. And, uh, and so Mayberry's contention is that we need to have the right mindset in place, and he gives a lot of credit to Ron Paul. I'm sure he would give a lot of credit to you and, and other people who are writing and educating people about. I mean, in your wonderful book, The National Bankruptcy, there are so many quotes from Ludwig von Mises in there and, and other Austrian school economists. And, you know, um, the, the truth is that there is no free lunch, uh, but that capitalism works more efficiently than any other form of economics, and capitalism and freedom allows people to be productive, allows them, you know, gives them purpose in life, but allows them to, to be who they are created to be, that, to, to offer their unique talents and gifts to the market uh, for survival, right? Right. And I think, you know, the thing that you mentioned, Austrian school, I mean, when I talk on various shows, uh, I, I want to give credit to the reason that I believe the way I do. I'm not, you know, just the coin dealer with an opinion out here in Minnesota. I have studied for 40 years the Austrian mm -hmm. School of Economics, and these were brilliant men, and they influenced me, and the more people they influence, the better off we're going to be, because they're the ones that build the foundation and the moral values of capitalism and makes it readily available for any mind that wants to be open enough to see it. Mm -hmm. There is um, some, I mean, so many great quotes in this book. And uh, again, people, you can, you can get it, uh, a copy, a free copy of this book uh, by calling Investment Rarities. Uh, and that number again, James, is 1-800, what is it? one 800 328-1860. Yeah, we'll be glad to send it's, out a it's free, a free book. I didn't realize it was free. It was sent to me, and I, uh, I went through it this morning. Uh, it, it's just a gem of, of quotes and, uh, I think, insights into human, human action, human behavior, what makes us tick, what, what makes society uh, prosperous and happy and fulfilling, and what uh, the parasitic uh, uh, offset to that, the one that we're ex uh, experiencing now, is a theft of our private property by government and discouraging people from being who they were created to be, uh, allowing them to offer their own skills and talents to the market. But there's a quote here, you know, one of the big things that's been weighing on me, James, is which way does this thing work out? Which way does it work itself out? If the market were allowed to just correct itself... If Bernanke wasn't printing trillions of new dollars that he creates out of nothing, we would have, I would argue, one of the greatest deflations of all time. And here's a great deflationist that you quote in your book, John Exter. He says, and I quote, The marketplace is a crime and punishment world, and this Federal Reserve credit expansion is the greatest monetary crime of all time. Accordingly, the punishment will be far and away the greatest punishment of all time. End of quote. And then I'd read also a... Um, from John Denning, another quote in your book, um, and he talks about, he says, so much debt has been, uh, has been created in the last 20 years that it requires huge amounts of new credit simply to keep the system liquid. The necessity for ever larger amounts of credit to keep the system liquid weighs on the ability of the Fed to reflate. It's like pouring more and more water into a bathtub with a huge hole at the bottom. End of quote. Now, these two guys, I don't know if Denning is really a deflationist. I sense he is from that, and I, I have met him and talked to him in the past, but I can't remember what he's all about. Doesn't what Denning is saying here, and, and partly what Exter is saying, uh, suggest or imply that Bernanke's endless printing press money may not be able to overcome these huge natural deflationary pressures? Yeah, I think ultimately deflation has to be the outcome. I mean, when we look at Weimar, for example, Weimar inflation or other inflations uh, that have taken place, there's a, a, a severe economic retrenchment after hyperinflation, and that, that's probably our fate. Mm -hmm. So you see the hyperinflation coming first, and then 
uh, and then a depression, which ultimately is the same thing as a as a as a deflationary depression, right, because, because all the air is left out of the out of the bubble, out of the balloon. Right, because Bernanke, Geithner, Summers, and everybody else in Washington, it's really it's really for them it's inflate or die. That's the way they look at it, and they all listen to Krugman, who to me is the, probably the most dangerous guy <laughs> on the editorial page, and. He's always talking about, you know, incessant money printing and you just don't worry about the debt, don't worry about the spending, keep on cranking it out mm-hmm. and, and never with any uh, fears about the eventual outcome. And we know what the eventual outcome can be. There's no getting through, uh, you know, by just simply printing more and more money and that's going to rescue the world or rescue America. I mean, give me a break, folks. Yeah. Well, you know, here's a here's another quote I think is so true, and I find it even applicable in my own life. Uh, William Rees Mogg, uh, in Chapter 10 of your book, says, Inflation gradually pushes the whole community towards speculation, since ordinary life begins to require speculators' skills, end of quote. And, you know, James, I find myself uh, now in my own, as I manage my own portfolio, looking at uh, some of these ETFs that are derivatives, ETFs, and they move like crazy. They're up and down all over the place. And uh, it's it's a temptation to get into these things, and and you know because the whole world. I mean, it seems to me that it's the financial world that controls everything now. That has where all the money is and where all the games are played. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, we it's a big casino, and now with you superimpose uh, this uh, computerized trading, I mean that is just another classic uh, New York uh, financial center pending disaster. And, uh, you know, I, they just keep coming up with one thing. And, and, and you're exactly right because they have the inside track. I mean, this kind of trading is the advantage of the big guys, hurts the little guys. Have the same thing on the futures market. You have, uh, you know, these, all these uh, big banks that are uh, in the futures market. They're really just like uh, guys in Las Vegas. They've taken a little bit off the edge of every deal, and at least mm-hmm. in a casino, they tell you they have the advantage, but on uh, these other exchanges, uh, you think you've got a fighting chance. All right, James, we only have a couple of minutes left here. Uh, chapter 43, you say it's too late. Chapter 44, rebirth of the rugged individualist, and we don't have time to get into these things, but I think people definitely have to order this book. It's free, folks. It's free, and so you need to order this book. Um, 1-800-328-1860. One eight hundred three two eight one eight six zero. Okay, so you know, James, just a couple of minutes left. You sell gold and silver investment rarities. Where can people go to to avail themselves to to that? Well, sort of well, if they want information on precious metals, we'll be glad to send it to them. Uh, if they order our book, we'll probably keep them on our mailing list for a few months, and they'll get a lot of stuff about precious metals to help them make a decision if that's the way they want to go. Now, James, I know you told me before we went on the air that you're more inclined, you're more bullish on silver than gold. We don't have time to go into the whys and wherefores of that. But here's a question I have for you with the last few seconds we have left today. What are the chances of having our gold or silver taken from us again? Or I guess silver never was. It was more of a gold. Do you see silver as being safer in terms of uh, not being confiscated again, or do you, do you think there's a danger of either of those metals being confiscated by government in one I, way or another? I definitely don't think silver, unless there was some need for it for industrial purposes. So, But I don't, I don't think silver, and there isn't that much silver to make a difference. I mean, there's not much silver left above ground in the world. Gold, you know, you never know. Uh, it's a harder one to figure out. I just don't think that even the amount of gold there is in the U.S. that could be grabbed could save the dollar. I mean, the dollar is doomed. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, I'm afraid I have to agree with you. We are out of time. We're going to have to have you on again sometime when you don't have a cold. It would be easier for you that way. Uh, folks, uh, 1-800-328-1860. Order the book and learn more about James Cook. Uh, he's, uh, he's a gem. He has a lot of things to tell you that can be very, very helpful to you in the future. Don't go away. Folks, we're going to be back after the commercial break. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, to, uh, we're going to be talking to, uh, Mr. Durfee. He's uh, an attorney about tax planning. Uh, and Richard Durfee, my apologies. He's going to be with us right after the break. You don't want to miss a lot of very valuable information from uh, coming your way after the break. Don't go away. 
Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters attention mining investors brazil resources incorporated trading as brizf on the otc and bri on the tsxv is exploring and developing five gold projects in brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits it's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource bri has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in brazil led by recognized mining executive admir adnani chairman check out brazil resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. 